All right, guys. Hey, welcome to the Sunday before Christmas. I mean, yeah, right. It's, it's Christmas time, everybody. High five someone. All right, come on. It's Christmas time. Yeah, man, this is going to be great. Hey, look, my name is Jeff. I get the chance to be the lead pastor here. How many of you guys are excited to be at New Life Church today? Man. Wow, it was a great start to the service. I guarantee it was a great start out at North Platte as well. So we're live right now here at Kearney. We're live in North Platte, and we're live with everybody that's worshiping with us online. And I'm so glad to have you guys here with us. Look, let me just jump right in, all right? We're wrapping up our teaching series, They Call Him. They Call Him has been out of, uh, out of the book of Isaiah. And I just want to do a quick recap of our teaching series, all right? Um, like, the, the whole they call him was built around the name Jesus and what his name meant and that his name was important and it was meaningful, just like your name is. Uh, your name that you have right now is an important name. Your parents thought like that was the most meaningful, important name they could give you when they named you. And isn't it, like if you're a parent, isn't it a, um, like a privilege and a challenge? And, you know, it's quite the thing to think through when you're naming your children because they will be called that or nicknames or versions of that for the rest of their life. And for some of us, we're wondering, why did our parents call us that then, Right. <laughs> And or why did they spell it that way? Like forever, you know, I have to tell people how you spell my name because it ends differently than most, even for my name, Jeffrey. Like you would think that my name is spelled J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, right? Nope. Thank you, mom and dad. J-E-F-F-E-R-Y, Jeffery. You know, it has a little bit more pristine to it, I guess, you know. And then whenever I don't go on Siri, it always calls me Joffrey, right? It uses a uses a G, and so I can't quite figure that all out. But your name is meaningful, and your name's important, and then maybe it came from an athlete that your parents really liked, or a movie star, or maybe the name they always wanted to be called, right? But your name has value and meaning. Just like when God gave his son his name, his name had meaning. And we know that he gave him his name because an angel showed up to Mary and told Mary, look, you're going to name the baby Jesus. There was God's intention, God the Father naming his son Jesus, who is also fully God, the name Jesus. And so, you know, what does that name really mean? Well, 800 years before uh, the birth of Jesus ever took place, 800 years before that moment, the prophet Isaiah was writing. And he was writing in a time that was tumultuous, in a time that was, you know, um, uh, in, the people were in captivity. Uh, there was a lot of oppression and they were in need of hope. He was writing and he was prophesying what he sensed the spirit of the Lord was putting in his heart to write. And 800 years before Jesus ever showed up, he gives us the meaning of the name Jesus. He tells us that he's going to be called a few things. And so what I want you to do is I want you to read with me our key verse for this entire series. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Please read it with me. It says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders... And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of, Prince of Peace. And so we've been walking through these names that he will be called. Now we know he wasn't called those names. He lived these, these names. These names are things that he has lived out in his character and in his nature. He was called Jesus. Right. I've told you guys this before. Like whenever the pastor ever asks a question, if you just say Jesus, you're going to be like normally like 99.9% .9 right, right? So he's going to be called Jesus. 
Right, of course, and that's what we refer to him as. As Jesus, we don't walk around talking about Jesus and calling him by, by the name of Wonderful or Counselor all the time. No, we call him Jesus. But he lived these things out, and we looked at these, and we said that Wonderful, it, it, it meant that it, it was like indescribable awe. An indescribable awe, that's what the name Wonderful means. And I think did Jesus definitely lived that out whether it's from the beginning of his virgin birth or to his ascension or to an empty tomb. I mean, it was definitely wonderful. We looked at counselor and it meant exactly what you think, right? One who listens, uh, but one who also can give incredible advice. And that's exactly who Jesus is, if, if you'll let him be. He wants to be that in your life. And then we looked at the name, Mighty God. And, you know, it's quick to come to the conclusion based on God's word that Jesus is mighty, that he is he's powerful, that there is no one equal to him, and that he is like, he's Jesus, your giant killer. And I love that when we preach that message, you know, someone from our North Black campus sent, sent me a, an email and just said, look, you have no idea how much that message is going to impact and change my life, right? I've always been fighting my giants, but I've never thought about telling my giants that my God is a giant killer and that he's mighty. She said, she goes, that's going to change my life. And maybe it's going to change your life too. As you start addressing your giants differently in your life. And then we looked last week at uh, Everlasting Father. And you know, first, right off the bat, Everlasting Father is just to come to the conclusion that Jesus is your father. Like to embrace that one simple fact could be revolutionary for you. But that he's everlasting. He always has been and he always will be. He's the Alpha and the Omega all right, he's the beginning and he's the end. And all of these names have pointed to who Jesus was. However, I do need to make sure we're driving home the truth here today. That all these names are also describing who Jesus is right now. But they're also describing who Jesus will be in our future. See, Jesus never stops being wonderful. He never stops being counselor. He never stops being a mighty God. He never stops being an everlasting father. And today you're going to hear how he has been and he is and he will forever be the prince of peace. The prince of peace. That's what I want to focus on today. Prince of peace. You know, Christmas time is supposed to be a time of peace. Uh, now look, I, I, I really, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, I just want to make this point really, really clear for a second. It doesn't matter to me what theologians think, like what the actual birth date of Jesus is or not. I know this, that come December the 25th, we're going to stop for a moment. And on our calendar, we've said we're going to celebrate this day as the day that Jesus came into the world. Now, to me, it doesn't matter whether that's the actual day or it's some other day in the calendar year. The, the issue that matters and the point that matters to God most is what is our heart saying? Is our heart saying we're stopping today and we're recognizing that, Jesus, you came to this earth to liberate us and to set us free? Because if that's what you're doing, Christmas is to be a time of peace. But it's not peaceful for everybody. Right, so let me just kind of do a little survey really quickly. How many of you guys would say that, look, you got all of your Christmas shopping done already? Put your hand up. Let me see. Right, then Christmas can be a time of peace for you. <laughs> How many of you are still doing some shopping? You still have some shopping to do. Come on, put your hand up with mine. This is my hand up, actually, right now. All right, it's going to be stressful, people. I'm just telling you right now. It's probably going to be a little bit stressful, all right? Maybe, and don't put your hand up on this one, please. But possibly, just maybe, you're looking at all the gifts under the tree you're thinking about the Amazon box that are still to show up, right? And you're going, holy cow, I can't believe we spent this much money. And all you can think of right now 
and tomorrow and on Christmas when all of the presents are being opened is the fact that a January credit card bill is going to come. That's going to be stressful and painful. You following me on that? Possibly this has happened for you. Does anybody at this moment take place and it's an odd moment where somebody totally unexpected that you didn't know that was going to buy you a gift has now bought you a gift and you have it and now you feel the obligation of buying them a gift? Right? Have you, have you had that happen yet? Because if you haven't had that happen yet, painful, all right? Painful. But for some of you, like my family, um, we, we lost uh, my father-in-law. Um, and we just lost him just shortly ago. And you might be in our shoes and you're getting ready to have your very first Christmas where you have a loved one that's missing. That's gonna be painful. There's gonna be pain involved. It's not that it can't be peaceful, it's just that there's going to be pain with moments like that. Or maybe you've just found out some really bad news. It could be bad news about your job. It could be bad news about your health. It could be bad news of something happening in your family. Um, but that also could make Christmas a painful time. For some of you, I want to encourage you. Come out tomorrow night to our Carney campus or uh, to our North Platte campus at five and or seven. And we're gonna try to bring peace at Christmas, all right? That's what we're gonna try to do. We got our Christmas Eve service. It's gonna be a time where we can sing some carols together, all right? Um, we're going to be, uh, you're gonna watch your children like, uh, like we just did here at the Carney campus, but you're gonna watch your children engage in the true meaning of Christmas uh, while we're all here together. You're gonna hear the, the biblical account of what Christmas is really all about. We're gonna have a moment to pray with one another um, it's going to be a time of peace, and I want to encourage you to come out. But why is Christmas to be a time of peace, even when we walk through painful moments? It's because Jesus was given the title Prince of Peace. This wasn't a title that he had to grow into, by the way. Jesus was given the, the title Prince of Peace. He was born with it, right? And he, he lived out the mission of it. He sits right now at the right hand of the Father, wearing the crown of the Prince of Peace, and one day he's going to come back and he's going to establish a physical kingdom on this earth where he will rule as Prince of Peace. So the title Prince of Peace is something that Jesus was, it's something that he is, but it's also something that will ultimately be fulfilled in our future. And so we've been reading Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and today I want to go just one step further and I want to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. So take a look at this verse with me. It says that his government, talking about Jesus, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from, his, from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Now this verse is pointing to, leave that verse up for a minute. This verse is pointing to a moment that is to come. It's going to start and it's going to last for a thousand years. The Bible refers to it as the millennial reign of Christ. It has not happened. It is getting ready to come. And it will, it will start at the second coming of Jesus. When it talks about in God's word, his feet will come. They will rest back on the Mount of Olives just across the Kidron Valley from the old city of Jerusalem. And he will once again establish his kingdom on this earth. And here's what I want you to see about this. This is why I want it left up. All of that is going to happen and how do we know it's going to happen? Because the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make it happen. Who is the Lord of Heaven's armies, by the way? It's another title for Jesus, right? It was another trick question, church. And some got it right. 
Jesus, he is the commander of the Lord's army. And it's his passionate commitment that's going to allow him to reign as the king of kings, lord of lords, and as the prince of peace for a thousand years. And he will reign over all the inhabitants of the earth, over all the governments, over all the nations of the earth. He will establish his government, his throne, and his reign, and he will be prince of peace. Now, this is something that the Bible talks about in multiple different places. It doesn't give a lot of detail of what that all all looked like, but there is a passage that I thought, you know, I want to take you to it. It's a longer passage, but I want, I want you to kind of like take it in because it's talking about who Jesus is going to be, this Prince of Peace that he will be in our future. So in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, it's a little bit long, but just kind of follow along with me and uh, take this in. So the, uh, the Apostle John was on the island of Patmos, and he was having this vision that the Lord was giving him, and that's where the book of Revelation comes from. And he says this, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, the old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and he bound him in a chain for a thousand years. Okay, keep following with me. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and he locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years was finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. That could be a whole sermon by itself right there. Like, why? That's my number one question to ask God, by the way. Why does he have to be released again? Then I, saw, then I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their forehead or on their hand. They, uh, they all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. Then it says this, look, the rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had, had ended. Those who had, those who had turned their back on Christ, those who had accepted the mark of the beast, those who had followed the Antichrist, those still stayed in the grave. But he said, blessed, are, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection, like you and I, who put our faith in Christ Jesus, Right? For them, the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for how many years? A thousand years. Jesus, I got good news for you. Jesus brings peace when he locks up Satan. That's the come in our future. He's going to bring peace when he does that. And here's what I want you to imagine with me for a minute. I just want you to imagine a world without temptation, without evil and without sin. What if you could just wipe out those three things right there that Satan brings? Would that not bring peace? That would be a peaceful place, wouldn't it be? That's the kind of place I want to be. I want you to imagine a world in unity without government strife, with one government fighting against another. I want you to imagine a world without poverty and sickness. Imagine a world without armies and war and genocide and racial division. Imagine a world that looks like that because that's what the world will look like when when Christ locks up Satan. Because when he locks him up, I want you to imagine peace because that's what you'll experience. And this is what Jesus is going to bring when he puts finally the key to Satan for a thousand years and he locks him up. But I want you to notice, like, how how much battle did it take to lock up Satan in that passage of Scripture? Not much, right? It took one angel. Like, one angel. So I want you to know today... Whatever Satan's barking in your ear, he's not as wise as he sounds like. 
Whatever Satan thinks, whatever you think that Satan is trying to control and, you know, usurp his power and his authority in your life right now, I just want you to know his power and his authority is not as strong as you think it is. All, and I mean all of Satan's plans, the ones that are against you, the ones that are against me, the ones that are against this church, the ones that are against our nation, all of Satan's plans will get thwarted by one single command of God and by one hand of one angel as he holds him and he holds the keys in the other. There is no battle here. There's no, hey, we're going to put Satan in cuffs. It's one hand on Satan, one hand on the keys, and throw him in and close it and lock it up. One hand of one angel and one command of God. I just want you to put Satan right where he belongs right now. He's not as big as you think he is. That's peace, and that peace is coming for us. That peace is coming. So why should you keep your heart faithful before Christ? Because you and me want to be part of the first resurrection. We want to be a part of those who say, I'm with Christ. And we reign and we rule with him for that thousand years. But Jesus is also going to bring peace when he reigns, plain and simple. When he is the commander, when he's the chief, when he is the prince of peace and the king of kings. So I want you to imagine with me. Imagine a world where justice is always right. Imagine, right, the earth in perfect balance to the creator. Meaning that There is no need for an earthquake that brings destruction. There is no need for a tsunami. There is no need for a tornado. Creation in obedience to its creator. I want you to imagine a world where animals are in perfect harmony with with the creator. Like Isaiah talks about where lions lay down with lambs. Where lions go back to actually eating straw and grass. The Bible actually talks about a moment that will come in the future that it will be like that when Jesus reigns on this earth for a thousand years. I want you to imagine a place, a world where the sea is at rest and in perfect obedience to the creator. Where it doesn't overcome its own borders and cause destruction like just happened in Indonesia just you know, yesterday where you know, many people lost their lives. I want you to imagine a world where relationships are healed and where marriages are made whole again. I want you to imagine a world where you, you find contentment in your heart and you find confidence in who God really made you to be. I want you to imagine living on this earth, seeing Jesus face to face. I want you to imagine a place where you can hear the voice of Jesus with more clarity than you've ever heard his voice before. I want you to imagine a world where Jesus is the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, and you can actually feel his embrace as he hugs you. I want you to imagine a world like that because that's peace, and that's what Jesus is going to bring when he sits on the throne as the Prince of Peace. Now good, that's all what's to come. So since that is who Jesus will be as the Prince of Peace, and since that day will literally come where Jesus will reign and rule as the Prince of Peace, here's my suggestion for us all, that we would open up our hearts to him and we would let him be the Prince of Peace in our lives. So how does one, how do you actually find peace? How do you find it? How do you get it? How do you hang on to it? How does that happen for you? Let's go back to what the prophet Isaiah would say about the issue, right? We've been looking at him anyways. So Isaiah chapter 26, he says this, you will, you, meaning God, okay? God, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So God's the one who can keep you in perfect peace, but there's something here that it says we have to do. What's the key? Trust in you. 
Isaiah drives home the point that, look, if you want to find peace, you want to get it, you want to hang on to it, that we have to find peace through one source and one source only by trusting in Jesus as our Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and the Savior of our lives, that we trust in him to be our leader. That's what he's saying to us. So guys, it's one thing for you to say, I believe in God, right? It's another thing for you to say that I trust in God or that I actually put my trust in him. See, trusting God requires a lot of restraint. It requires us to restrain ourselves from anxiety, to restrain ourselves from worry, to restrain ourselves from control, to restrain ourselves from just acting you know, out of impulse. It takes a lot. And in Philippians chapter four, God gives us the solution for this. He goes, look, here's how you trust in me. And when you trust in me, I'm gonna bring peace to you. Take a look at these verses. The first one's gonna be super familiar to many of you. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Now that's massively important in light of this next word, then. If you do these things, if you, you don't worry about anything, like when there's a moment to worry, you run to God. Instead of worrying, you go to God and you pray about everything. And you tell God what you need and you thank him, right, for all that he's done. If you do those things, then watch this. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. Look what it says. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. If we trust in Christ, he has the ability then to fill our hearts with a peace that's supernatural. It's beyond our understanding. But we have to run to him in our greatest time of need. But I'm just going to tell you right now, God never promised in all of these verses that life would just be a cakewalk and that life would be easy. Right? God never promised that you wouldn't walk through the difficult. But he is saying this in these passages. When you walk through the difficult and you put your trust in me, look, it's a chance for me to produce peace in your heart. So have you ever walked through something challenging or difficult, whether it was short-lived or long-lived, and you put your trust in God, and it allowed him to build peace in your life? Because if you have, you know what I'm talking about. Look, look, I had a moment. I had a moment a couple years ago where my wife and I, we were over in um, St. Petersburg, Russia. We were actually on vacation. Yeah, it was a unique vacation. It was a unique opportunity and we seized it. And you know what, if any of you ever had the opportunity, I would highly recommend it. Um, other than being in Israel, it's the most fascinating place I've ever been on planet Earth, St. Petersburg. But while we were there, we were staying in this quaint little hotel and we came out of the hotel one morning and we went over to this incredible coffee shop with you know old brick walls on the inside and it was like really cool on the inside. And anybody that knows me would know that I'd be found in a coffee shop on any continent, right, on the planet, in any country. And so there I am and I'm drinking my espresso and eating some strudel. Can you imagine it with me right now? I think it was cherry strudel, by the way. And for some of you that like apple, just pretend it's apple. But I got my espresso and my strudel and jazz music is playing and it's in the morning and we're getting ready to hop on the subway and we're gonna race across town and do some shopping for things that we need. <laughs> More want. And we get done and it's been so peaceful that I, I just, I forgot my credit card and I left my credit card on, on the table in, in that little thing that folds up, whatever that thing's called. 
And I hop in the subway and off we go, right? And it's like 30 minutes to get to the other side of town and we get to the other side of town and we're walking through this shopping area and uh, my wife finds something that we need and um, <laughs> I, I go to whip out the credit card to pay for what we need and I don't have it. And I, can I just be honest with you right then? Like, cause it's one thing to lose your credit card in Kearney, it's another thing to lose your credit card in Russia. You see what I'm saying? And my heart, it sunk, and I had a moment of anxiety. And then right on the heels of that, I was like, well, what, what in the world can I do? And I just remember praying internally, just going, God, would you protect, would you protect that credit card? And then instantaneously, I had this idea, like, man, I got a cell phone, I should just call that coffee shop. But nobody speaks English, except for one girl who was actually taking care of our table. And I'm like, what's the likelihood that I'm going to actually get her, right? And I, I dial. I dial it up, and then there she is. And I, I'm just like, hey, I left my credit card there. And she's like, I can't even do it. Like, I can't do, like, a Russian accent. <laughs> I'll make her sound worse than what it sounds like. Right? I'm, so I'm not going to do it for your, your own sake of humor and for the fact that this is recorded forever. So if she ever watches this, I thank you. Because she said, Mr. Baker, I have your card. And you know what happened at that moment? Peace. Peace. But you, you know, you have to have that moment that sure, anxiety came in, but what'd you do when anxiety came in? What'd you do when worry came in? Because it's gonna come. It's not like, you, it's not like you're weak when those moments come. That's not it. It's like, what do you do when it comes? And I just took that moment. I said, God, protect that card. You know, because man, I'm halfway around the world. What am I going to do? How are we gonna buy the other things we need? Right? And so for a half hour, all the way back to the coffee shop, and, you know, there we were, so we might as well get another espresso and strudel. So <laughs> it all worked out good. It all worked out good. And I still have the same credit card. But you know, trusting God through difficult times can produce peace in your life. It can produce peace. But on the flip side, Isaiah also tells us that, look, many people are going to be looking for peace, and they're never going to find it. Take a look at what he said in verse, uh, or chapter 57. That there's no peace, absolutely none, for the wicked. There's no peace. They're going to look for peace, but they're never going to find it for the wicked. And look, oh, I, I know what you're thinking right now. Wicked. Oh, man, I'm not a wicked person. Let me just tell you what wicked actually means, right? Wicked is just living by your own standard, not God's. Oh, like all of a sudden, I'm more wicked than I thought I was. Right? Because I'm, how many times do we live by our own standard? We live by our own standard all the times, guys. So yeah, when we live by our own standard, you're never going to find peace. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he made a way for our sins to be forgiven. He made a way for us to have a relationship with God. He made a way for the penalty of our sins to be wiped away. Take a look at what Romans chapter one verse said. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. When we're living by our own standards, what do we need to do? We need to be made right with God by the repentance of our sins. And by putting Jesus first in our lives, one more time, by putting him on the pedestal of our heart, by calling out to him and saying, Jesus, I need you to be Lord of lords and King of kings, the Prince of peace of my life. May you lead me and may you guide me from this day forward. So yeah, can Jesus bring peace? Absolutely, when we run to him. But you, did you also know that we, we can be a part of bringing peace to one another? 
Yeah, we can do that. See, the Hebrew word for peace in Isaiah, it would have been, Jesus' name would have been called like the Prince of Shalom. So the Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. Maybe you've heard the word shalom before. And in ancient times, back in Isaiah's time, people would have actually walked up to one another and they would have asked each other, how is your peace? Or how is your shalom? Doesn't it sound a lot like something we do? Because it is. In fact, the derivative of that, where we get you know, our action is actually from that. We, when we say to one another, like, how are you doing? You ever ask somebody, how are you doing? You ever been irritated by that, by the way? You ever been in the, like, out in the lobby of the church and someone just kind of walks up to you and they're like, hey, how are you doing? And you're like, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And then you kind of walk away and you're like, I hate shallow talk. <laughs> Some of you guys are that way too. Like you just like, you don't want to have any shallow talk. And I get it because I'm that way. Like I would rather have a meaningful conversation than, than 20 hours of shallow talk. That's for sure. But here's what, here's what got to really start changing my heart was when I was reading and discovering that people would ask each other, how is your shalom? How is your peace? All of a sudden, I realized when we ask each other, how are we doing? That doesn't have to be shallow. In fact, that question was driven from God's heart, given to his people to ask one another, how is your peace? How are you, how are you really doing? It's what we do after we ask that question that determines whether it's actually going to be shallow or not. As an example, some of us have asked the other person, how are you doing? Just so that we could tell them how we're doing. Right? Come on. Don't sit there like you've never done that before. We've all done it. Every single one of us. And when we do that, that's not really caring about their peace. That's pretty self-centered. That's really about us. Maybe sometimes we ask, but we don't really listen. How many of you guys have done that? Like, hey, how you doing? And your mind's actually someplace else, and they tell you, and you can't even remember how they're doing. Right? Well, that's not going to bring peace. That actually is going to be shallow. But what about if you ask and you truly care, and you're truly concerned about what's going on? What I want you to know about that is that's God's plan. So it's God's plan for us to ask each other, how are we doing? We're asking, how is your peace? But when you ask, how are you doing, you have to listen. Listen for this, though. Listen for ways that you can pray, right, and support the other person. If you're, when you ask, how are you doing, if you listen for ways you can pray and support them, then you're bringing peace to them. If you ask, how are you doing, and you're, and you're listening to give a word of encouragement back to them, then you're bringing peace to their life. If you ask, how are you doing, with the attitude of listening to console or to comfort them, then you're bringing peace to a person's life. If you ask, how are you doing? Listening, right, to remind them of God's promise and his faithfulness, then you're bringing peace to a person's life. So the next time you ask, how are you doing? All I'm asking you to do, church, is do this. Add peace to a person's life. And join with Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He's wanting to bring peace to their life. What, what mission does he want us to be on? He wants us to be on the same mission. So don't shy away from asking others, how are you doing? Just when you ask it, lean in to the next thing you do. Ask how are you doing, but lean in with a Christ-centered concern, with a Christ-centered care, and add peace to other people's life. I hope that changes your idea of shallow talk. I hope it revolutionizes your idea of shallow talk, and it takes it to a whole other meaning because in one quick word, you can add peace 
to a person's life. So just to wrap this up, let me just ask one quick question. Where do you need peace in your life today? Where do you need it? Where are you lacking in peace today? And all I want you to do our, as our worship team leads us is I want you to come to Jesus. And I want you to bring whatever it is you're lacking peace in. And I want you to give it to him. Because his name is Prince of Peace. And that's good news. He can bring peace to your storm today. He can bring peace to your troubled times. He can bring peace to your turmoil. He can bring peace to what you think is in destruction right now. He can bring peace to you emotionally. He can bring peace to you mentally. He can bring peace to your anxiety and to your worries and to your concerns. He can bring peace. But you're going to have to bring it to him. And you have to say, I trust you, Jesus. You are the Prince of Peace. Now do your miraculous work in my heart. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. So Jesus, we've heard through this series that you are wonderful. And for some of us today, we need that awe-inspiring wonder to be alive in us. We've heard that you're the counselor and we come to you, Lord, seeking your wisdom and your advice and may you pour it out into our life. We've come to you, Lord, and we recognize that you are mighty God and that you are greater than any obstacle that we're facing and you'll conquer our giants if we'll trust you. And we came to you and we recognize that, Jesus, you are everlasting Father. You've always been, you always have been. You are a caring Father. And Lord, here today, we recognize you as Prince of Peace. Lord, you badly want to bring that peace to our lives, but you're waiting for the invite. You're waiting for us to kind of be done with our own fight, done with our own strife, done with our own struggle, and for us just to turn to you and say, okay, it's your turn. And so, Lord, we, we surrender to you today. We say, God, it's your turn. Have your way in our life. Be the prince of peace. Lord, for this church, no matter what they're facing this Christmas season, no matter what Christmas is turning out to look like, may this one thing be true in their life today. May you be the prince of of peace over their Christmas. May you be the Prince of Peace over their family. May you be the Prince of Peace over their personal life. Come, Jesus. Come, Prince of Peace. And leave, leave your everlasting mark on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.